Amen, amen. I'm so grateful that you're in church this morning. Thank you for the worship team. I was uh, snooping around some of my friends' churches, and I was just reminded of how amazing our worship team is. You don't want to compare, and you want to thank God that everybody can make a joyful noise. But some of my friends, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord bless them. And then I thought about us, and I was like, oh, we're so blessed here. Sometimes you see they got a whole choir up there. They got a whole ensemble up there, and it's just you don't feel the anointing. I just got to be honest. Not all worship is the same. I think sometimes people in the church are just asked to be up there, you know. But I thank God, even if I just had Jerry by herself up here, how many know you would feel Jesus? Don't ever take that for granted, okay? And I pray for my friends' churches now in Jesus' name for the right ones to be up there doing the right assignment. But that just I was so grateful for that. I was grateful for Jerry and Des and all the others. I want to introduce you to a sermon series that I don't have an end for it, but I know the beginning is going to be in depth today by God's grace because I have so many things I want to go through. So I'm going to be asking the Lord throughout this message to really help me summarize it and then guide us where we're going to go so that we can enjoy this series. Somebody say the church. Thank you. What I want to do is prep you with this because there's going to be some aspects of it that are going to feel like they're a little bit out of reach for you, maybe if you're a new believer or you're just visiting with us, because it's going to go deeper than you're used to on a Sunday morning service. Uh, For example, it would be like as if you went to a restaurant and the first day you're there, they say, come on back to the kitchen, let me show you the cooks, let me show you the stove, let me show you the oven, let me show you the delivery of where we get our goods from. How many know? if you're just visiting that restaurant for the first time, that could be a little bit intimidating. You know, now you're looking at where they store the food. Now you're looking at where they're cooking it, how they're prepping it. But, but we need to do this because I want everyone to understand there's, there's two important things about this sermon series that we need to get. Number one, this is important for you to understand the church because the church is the most important thing to God on the planet and all the universe right now. There is nothing more important to Jesus Christ than the church. Not even heaven, not even angels can compare to how important the church is to Jesus. The church is what Jesus died for. The church is what Jesus is building. The church is what will rule and reign as heaven comes down to earth. And listen, the church is what will judge angels. Can I hear an amen to that? If you don't know that, you'll see that in the Bible as we go through it. So that's the first thing. You need to understand the church. It is that important. The second thing that's really important about this series is that the church as it is in America today, if we were like judging it based on its content compared to restaurants, The church is at a Taco Bell level compared to the authenticity of a Mexican cuisine. Did did you all get that? It's like a pizza hut compared to the authenticity of Italian fine dining. If even that, I'm being generous when I say that. So imagine if I said to somebody today visiting me from, say, my suburban town of Indiana, and I said, I'm going to take you to Chicago's number one Mexican Latin restaurant. This one represents the gente more than anybody else. And the next thing they hear is, welcome to Taco Bell. May I take your order? 
How many of you would just deny me as your pastor? You would say, you're not my pastor anymore. We have loved you. We have tried to help you. We have taken you over to Aguila's house. We have done all that we can for you. Why would you shame us like that, right? I mean, just imagine this. And I know for some of you that sounds funny, but, but to be honest, growing up in suburban uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, when I went to a taqueria for the first time, I was like, why are these taco shells soft? Being honest with you, I'm like, and where's the lettuce and tomato? I was used to a tortilla-sized taco you that was crunchy. When they said the soft taco at Taco Bell, I didn't even pay attention to that because that wasn't a real taco to me. The real taco was the U-shaped, crunchy taco that had lettuce and tomato on it. I know you guys don't believe it, but that is honest to God truth. I was in Houston, Texas with Juan Gonzalez. I remember exactly where I was at at my first taqueria, and he said, this is authentic because he was from Mexico. He said, this is authentic, and I said, oh, I like this. Oh, I like this. He said, oh, well, then we're going to keep going then. I think I had cow brain, cow tongue. I had the beef, the pastor. I had like six different ones coming. I said, keep them all coming. And I'll be honest, I loved every single one. And, and I understood that's what it is. And by God's grace, I've been to Nayarit, Mexico. I've been to Mexico. I've been to the real places. You know what I'm saying? I've been there. Now I know. But it's not Taco Bell. Taco Bell is its own thing. That, 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 if you call that Mexican, it's, it's, it's Mexican in, in, in what, 1%? Maybe 1% of it is Mexican. Come on. And you see, if even that, if you, point 0.1%, point, point, you know, zero, 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 I get it. We'll be here, you know, all day. But everyone track with me here. That's what I think of when I look at the church today. It's like point zero 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 one percent what the Bible says. Most people don't even understand what we're doing here what we're called to do here, why we're here. It's almost as if people came into the church like they were coming on a cruise ship, and they get it in their mind that this place must be all about them, and they are the customer, and the customer is always right, and the the church is there literally to take them on a cruise ship. And so God forbid if there's ever any rough waters, God forbid if there's ever anything in that journey that makes them feel uncomfortable, because the customer's always right. That couldn't be further from the truth. And that kind of mentality, and those who have studied church history understand in the United States of America, that became popular around the 80s, around the late 80s, early 90s. One large church in Chicago started popularizing it, and some others in California began to come up with a model called the seeker-sensitive model, and that model really took the ideas of corporate America, Starbucks kind of way of doing things, and put it into the the church. And so now many of you here today are not even understanding that you have come up in a church culture that has deviated from the original church so far that it's probably not even recognizable. Because you might think that, like, I'm going to church because I'm doing this for myself, for my family. We come here, we get serviced, we get help. There's professionals in charge. Their job is to take care of me and my family. And if there's any problems, complaints, I need to be heard and be addressed. And it's all about me. 
And the problem is, is that yes, the church is about us in one sense, but not in that sense. The church is here to transform us, not to give us a comfortable ride to heaven. It's to change us. Now, the moment I start talking about this, what people then instantly will say, what they'll instantly say back, those who have a sassy mentality or a little bit argumentative, and not wrong with any sass or argumentation, I think I can do that every now and then myself, try to do it with grace and humility, but they'll just push back to that and go, well, what about all the abuses? What about all the abuses, Pastor? Okay, so the church is supposed to be more than just seeker-sensitive. The church is supposed to be a place of transformation. Yeah, but what about this pastor who stole from the people? What, what about these leaders who molested children? What, what about this one over here that ended up leaving his wife and doing X, Y, and Z? Now, you have to understand this. The same way that you would help counsel a woman who had her husband cheat on her, you would counsel this woman is the same way I would counsel that person. Would you go to the woman whose husband just cheated on her and say, you will never find a man. You will be single the rest of your life. All men are dogs. You're going to be like this the rest of your life, and I hate men, and you need to hate men too. Is that what you would say to that brokenhearted woman? No, you would say, let's, let's, get, let's get Jesus involved. Let's pray. Let's get your heart healed. And may the Lord bring you a new man, a better man. And how many are here today as men, if I can get an amen, and you won't cheat on a woman? Can I hear an amen? So there are good men. Just because there's a bad man over there, bad man, bad man, he cheated on him, he did all. Yes, just because that's over there, that doesn't mean there's not a good man waiting. And I wish I could get all the baby mamas who now married to a real, uh, a real man of God could say amen. Come on, Lord. <laughs> Come on. Because they understand there was men that mistreated them, used them, abused them, wasn't there. And then now there's another man in, the, in their life, a prince, a, a knight in shining armor that has totally changed the way that they think about men. And sometimes it's a little hard for them to be in that relationship in the early stages because they're still kind of like that skittish horse. Easy now, mama. Easy. Because they've been hurt. They've been hurt. But, and, and that man, and that just says, understand the language here. I don't mean this in a demeaning way. Has to saddle up, old mama. It's okay, mama. We're going we're gonna to go today. We're going to go to the grocery store. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're okay. Let me check your phone. Let me check your phone. Where you going every fight? Hold on, mama. We're just taking our time. I'm, not everybody's a cheater. Oh, easy, girl. Okay, now you're good. And sometimes it's like that. And that's why generally when I watch the men enter into those situations, those kind of men are very patient men, very caring men, because it takes a patient man to help a single mama who's been used and abused and hurt and just skittish to the touch and to, to anything that could possibly remind her of old dude. Amen. And that's the way people are with church. Oh, yeah. You remind me of my pastor who touched me in bad places. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not that guy. But you remind me. Oh, I'm sorry I remind you of him. Oh, you remind me of that person that yelled at me and made me feel really bad and told me I was garbage. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's not what we're trying to do. But you got to ease up, you wild church hopper, because that's how church hoppers are. 
nobody can tame me. I'm on my own for Jesus. I'm going to do everything on my own. Nobody can tame me. Hold up, church hopper. Church hopping and hopping and hopping and hopping. Just running out there in the wild. No, you, you need to be in a church where someone can saddle you and help bring you to those pastures. And I know we don't like to think of ourselves that way, but the Bible calls us sheep and that we should be led and that there should be leaders in the church. And so I don't know how this sermon series will go in time, but I believe that it's going to go deep. And I believe in the future we'll probably have maybe everybody in our 101 go through this sermon series so that by the time they graduate into 201, they can understand just what is going on. So there are some things in my heart that you need to capture as I, as a pastoral leader, as an elder, speak to you about. But then there's things you got to talk to Jesus about in the scriptures. There's generally going to be a group of people that will hear these kinds of messages and they'll say, well, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. I'm not a troublemaker. I'm not doing anything wrong. Okay, I just mind my own business. And, and they're going to miss it. And then there's others that are going to take it to the high extreme, you know. They're going to come like Dwight from the office dressed up as the sheriff's deputy. They're going to try to put everybody in check. There'll be no freedom. It's going to be cultish. And there's a balance in there. Everybody needs to care about this to a high level. This needs to be something you really care about. And at the same point, you need to give people some grace and space to figure this out for themselves because no one should feel forced to do anything that they don't feel God has called them to do, especially in the church, coming to church, being involved in church. No one should feel forced to do this. As our precious brother takes this picture so we can be in social media, he should not feel forced to do this. This should be the joy of his heart. Somebody shouldn't be like coming to him going, hey man, did you take that picture of Pastor Joe? If not, you're in trouble. It should be like, hey brother, I appreciate your help. Can you get these social media pictures out? Because how many know people like to look at social media these days? And that's why the brother and others do this for us, so that when there's social media out there, I'm not grabbing the mic like like this there can actually be a presentation of what we're doing thank you my brother let's give it up for him for serving the lord it all works but there's a presentation that we give to the world so there's going to be some people like ah it doesn't really apply to me and the others like i'm coming down hard on everybody no find the balance here and as we go through it you also see there's going to be a balance of theology like deep theology to the point where if you were to ask me and I need Juan Gonzalez in this service. Uh, Juan Gonzalez, Juan Riasco in this service, please. Uh, would you grab him for me? I, I, I know that some of you are going to say it goes deep because I know pastors that in seminary haven't gone to maybe one or two classes that even talked about the church. Think about this. And I hear an amen from a Bible college student. Many of our seminaries, when they talk about church, it's in a theology setting. Thank you, my brother. I just want you in the front row if I can. Thank you. I want everyone to hear this. Most pastors don't even get this because you work with pastors. I need you to hear this. When you hear about pastors and other pastors not getting along, do you know that most pastors don't even know how to resolve their issues? Because when they were in seminary or when they were in Bible college, at most they took a theology class that spent maybe a week on the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of it, like this is what the church is. And then maybe in a practical ministry class, 
Somewhere in them leading and understanding pastoral ministry, they took some classes to help them understand maybe a lecture or two to what goes on as a pastor. Could be something like pastoral ministration, could be a class like church planting, so forth and so on. But in those classes, and I have taught them and I have been in them, the level of depth that you go to on the highest level, on the highest level, is still about 2 or 3% of what's being presented here. And you can tell when you talk to most pastors. Most pastors don't even understand that their name and title is not even in the Bible as such. I'll give you $20 right now if you can find any place where the name pastor so-and-so is ever in the Scriptures. It's not even there. You all have adopted that like I did out of culture because priests were known as the leaders and then we called them pastors and now we don't even know where that came from. There wasn't priests in the Bible in the way we know them in the Catholic church and now just simply saying, well, we're not Catholic, so these aren't priests, these are pastors. It's not even the way the thing was run. It wasn't even ran that way. Now, of course, most people who have studied the Scripture know that, but they don't do anything about it. They just let that train just keep on rolling. I'm a pastor. You're not one. Let's just keep moving. I'm in charge. And they don't explain what is even going on. Why is there even a pastor? Why am I here as this guy and you're there as that person? Because tradition has gotten so interwoven into this. Go back to that Taco Bell example that, let's be honest, let's be honest, Many of you in the church world are eating Taco Bell tacos going, this is Mexican, this is Mexican, this is a church, this is a pastor, that's the worship leader. You don't see any of it in the scripture, but you're just going along with it because someone told you this is what we do. And then look at this. When you and I, because I've been there, I'm not there anymore, and hopefully you won't be after a while, and those who have been in the discipleship have been growing out of this. But, but when you read the Bible, you don't even try to look for it. You don't even try to look for what you're doing. You just think and assume it's already there. You assume that the guy, Pastor Joe, is in there. You just assume it. But if I said, find me Pastor Joe like people in there, you couldn't even go and do it. Find me a guy in the Bible that is what you thought I was two seconds ago, Pastor Joe. Find me that guy in the Bible. Who is he? Where is he at? You can't even find that guy there. They're called something entirely different. What are the ones in charge of the church actually called, friends? Elders. Somebody else said apostles, but that's close because we know there's apostles. But what are apostles doing as they're sent out? The word apostilion, the word apostle just means sent out one. What are they doing? They're appointing elders. Ah, somebody didn't even know that. You're like, man, I, I've been in church this whole time, and I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's not even the right title. We don't even have the right understanding of who's in charge. The next thing that we get is we don't even understand the governmental structure to this. The moment I say government, what is it you think of? You think of United States Senate. You think of the president. You think of the Congress. You think of the House of Representatives. This is a meeting of spiritual governance. See, most people don't even know that. 
That's why sometimes, let me just kind of take a little tra- a trail here. There'll be a lot of rabbit trails here, okay? So just go with me, and I'm, I'm hoping the Holy Ghost leads me. But that's why when people come to a church like this, and they hear me lay down judgments or make uh, what would be decisions on the Scripture for a congregation, people are thrown off by that. Who does he think he is? Are we in a cult? What is this guy doing? He talked like, for example, yesterday, uh, last week, uh, I talked about these Christians going into malls, singing, getting kicked out after they're asked to leave, and then them calling that persecution. I still think they're Christians, but it's not a Christian thing to do to break private laws, the laws of private property. Can I hear an amen? The Bible says don't move a boundary stone. That's private property. You don't have the right to violate private laws and call it persecution. Oh, who is he? Why would he do that? Oh, and by the way, in that service, unbeknownst to me, were people that were from Florida where that had happened and were in the last one they got kicked out. And their wives and other godly people in their lives were already saying to them, there's something wrong about this. We're bum-rushing malls. We're getting kicked out. Why are we calling this Christian persecution? Jesus was in the public, and if he was in the temple, it was his father's house. He wasn't going to others' houses and doing those things. Why would we do that? They said, Pastor, you confirmed to us what we had already been hearing from our wives and from leaders around us. But you see, that was said, that was spoken. There was other times here on our big karaoke screen that I had Hillsong Church and Brian Houston, and I was saying, this guy is going astray. They're taking compromises with homosexuality. He's covering up his father's pedophilia. This kind of a movement is going to not be good for us as Christians. And at that time, people are only rocking out Hillsong. And remember, you can throw out the bathwater, but keep the baby, you know. And, and, and at that time, they were thinking, Pastor, you're just so over the top. And then now there are documentaries, and this man is being indicted in Australia for his issues. But that was put up here years ago. Why is he doing that? Because you don't understand. Courts in order when the word of God comes out. This is not merely a man's opinion. I know I startled some of you. I still love you. Get me a gavel. People think, people think this was just a fairy tale for you to give your children bathtub toys to play with Noah's Ark. No, when Noah's Ark came down, people died. This is a gavel to the world. And you may say, well, Pastor Joe, I don't trust you with that gavel. Well, then listen, you better find somebody you do trust. Because when this church meets, court is in order. Court's in session. Now you may say, Pastor, I don't see you. That Well, then don't come here because when we come here, we bring out the word of God. When we come here, we make decisions on this word. And that means something. But see, once again, that culture doesn't understand that the church is a place of government, a government and governance. Another thing that people often say about the church is it's a hospital. I saw one church, uh, you know, with their uh, sign above their, you know, the, the cover photo for their, their church, and it said, a place for the hurting. The church, number one, is not a place for the hurting. It is not that. We may have a place for you here if you are hurting, but this is not first and foremost a place for the hurting. This is a place for the Holy Spirit. To come and have his way. 
This is a place for the Holy Spirit to break some stuff off of you. This is a place for the Holy Spirit to put inside of you the Word of God and the commands of Jesus. When we walk out of here, yes, we'll be healed, but we will also be empowered to live for Jesus. And that's why so often you hear me when I speak about leaders or movements. You may think that I'm toxic in my masculinity. Oh, Joe, you beat the Bible too much. You're a toxic man. No, I'm just a different kind of man, I guess. Because most of these men behind the pulpit are feminine men. There is a strength in femininity, but there is a sin when a man tries to be a woman. When a woman is the best woman God called her to be, there's a strength in that. But when a man tries to operate out of femininity, the Bible says these are effeminate men, then they've lost their authority. And what effeminate men are is as you think back in the early days of acting, the actors often at that time, those men would wear those tight get-ups like little Peter Pan outfits, you know, and they would oftentimes be attracted to other men and they would be into fashion and to, to always be about their appearances. That kind of effeminacy has now come into our pulpit to where when we see a man preaching, we don't want a man in his masculinity what we want a man is to imitate femininity. That's why oftentimes when you look at those talk shows and you look at those men, those men are the kind of men that women really relate to because they're coming out of femininity instead of coming out of masculinity. And I'm not saying masculine means uh, always a big man or a strong man. There's all different types of men. I just mean that there is a gift that God has given men to lead, and I'm talking about that as well in Hebrews, and that we need to let men be men, and we need to let leaders be leaders. And I want everyone to hear this today. The church, as we have it today, that, that .00001%, that Taco Bell type church, they don't want the taqueria. They don't want the real deal. But many, many do. But I'm talking overall, there is a backslidden nature to the church. And what has happened is it puts us in conflict. It puts us in conflict as a church. You become in conflict as a member, as a disciple of this church, because you meet others who don't understand that. And that's where it breaks my heart. And that's why I would say to you as your brother, as someone who loves you, I understand the reproach because I suffer it too. But to me, I wear it as a badge of honor. And I hope that you would as well. So for example, just think for yourself from the outsider's point of view, the way they would look inside to this congregation, to this church, and how they would see us. Do you think there's any confusion to the community outside of these walls what Metro Praise does for Jesus on the streets? I guarantee you there's none. When they meet us, they know what we're about. Oh, you go to Metro Praise? Oh, okay, I understand what you're about. What are some of the impressions you think that they have in their mind of us? Let's be self-aware. They probably understand very quickly that you are serious about God. When you meet a Metro Praise person, you have met someone who is serious about God. You have met someone that is ready to preach the gospel. And you have met someone who is accountable to how they live as a Christian. That's our boast in Christ. Amen? 
who believes in the supernatural power of God, who holds to the Word of God. And when you have met one of them at your job, at your school, at your, uh, you know, your family barbecue, you know what you have run into. And that should be the reputation of all Christians. Why is it today when we meet Christians, we don't have in mind holiness the moment we meet them, even though the Bible calls them saints? Why is it when we meet many Christians, we don't have in mind soul winners? When the Bible said to the first disciples, go be fishers of men, make disciples. Why is it we don't think of those who keep commandments? We think of all of these other things. What do we think of? Like church wise type people. If we were now to ask the American culture, what do you think about Christians? What would most of them say? Oh, they're hypocrites. They live however they want. They judge us. They focus on the small things they don't like about me, but ignore all the things that they have in their life. Their lives are out of order. There's no moral integrity. There's nothing about them that stands out in comparison to the culture. I just heard another man, he deconstructed his Christian faith to now be an atheist, and he was like, I've been in church my whole life, and I don't see any difference between what I was in church to what my friends are in the world. He says, there's no difference. Well, come to this church for a week or two, and you will see a difference, sir. You will find a difference. Now, whether or not you like that difference, that's now between you and God. But you will notice a difference, hallelujah, that I am not a husband like that boss you have. We are not in the way of the world. We are of this world, but not in this world in that way. Or we are in the world, but not of this world. You'll see a difference. Real, My kids aren't like your friend's kids. My house ain't ran like that. So whatever church you were a part of, whatever places you have church hopped to, you have found churches that are just out of order just like you are. There's no discipline. There's no integrity. There's no expectation of what God expected us to do or commanded us to do. That's just the introduction. You ready for the passage? Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people or who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's like, man, I want to know what the feedback is. Tell me what they're saying. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So all of these weird answers, even with reincarnation being in, in, in involved here. Now, verse 15, what about you? So he goes, okay, I know they don't know who I am. They think I'm John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah. Okay, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. See, Peter got it. I know who you are. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father and where? In heaven, because heaven's coming to earth. Now watch this. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And then all the Roman Catholics go, yeah, woo, there's our Pope, there he is. And to the Pope we say, nope. Y'all don't know that? You better know it right now. To the Pope we say, nope. Now you better understand why you're a Protestant. Most here, I'm just being honest, even in our own God-blessed church on 5405 West Diversity, don't even know why you're a Protestant. You see, most pastors don't know why they're Protestants. 
Right now in a world of what I said before, the seeker-sensitive movement, there is a revitalization of Protestants returning to Rome and to Orthodoxy. You know why? Because they're so tired of the effeminacy in the Protestant churches. They would rather go to a place where you have to call the guy father, and he, you know, he has at least a masculine role, and there's order in that church. And the Greek Orthodox, they have beards. They're not dressing like little girls up there. Are you listening? There's a resurgence into these old churches because people don't understand why they were Protestant to begin with. And the Roman Catholics will take what I'm saying but then add their own salt of heresy on it to the point where it ruins the recipe. They do have a point that there's a church being built and there's really only one, even though there's multiple locations, but there's really only one. And there are people in charge. The problem that they have that we disagree with is that they think this makes Peter the one in charge and that Peter hands down his office from one to the other and he gives the keys. That's not what it says. What it says is that Peter is the first member of that church and he's the first one to receive the keys that that church will have. And it's from those apostles and leaders, not Peter alone, that those keys will be given. Can I hear an amen? I'll prove it to you. Now go to Matthew 18. Same book, two chapters over. Go from Matthew 16 to chapter 18. It wasn't just Peter. It was just Peter was the right one. Nobody else said the right thing. Peter is the one that gets to become the first rock of the foundation that Jesus is going to build his church on. But he's not a special kind of rock in the sense that the apostles are not like him or that you and I will not be like him in the future. It's just that he was the first one to be built as a foundation for the church. Can I hear an amen? On the cornerstone of Jesus, we are then living stones built on Jesus. And I'll show you that from Peter's own words. But go to Matthew 18. We'll be going into this at a different time for a different reason. But notice now what it says in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 18. So 18, 18 says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth. Is he just talking to Peter here? No, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the rest of them now because of Peter's testimony who agree with who Jesus is. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two or three of you agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in where? In heaven. Thank you for where two or three gather in my name. There I am also. So do you see that the same exact kind of authority that the Catholics want to say Peter had is given to the church of Jesus Christ? Do you see it? I said, do you see it? Because the you there is not one individual disciple. The you is Jesus talking to the disciples. Now, how do I know that for a fact? Like, you know, maybe somebody would say, well, I don't really know who the you is there. It doesn't necessarily say it. And you're a little bit confused. I will show you out of Peter's own words what he said about this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. The best evidence against the Pope is Peter. Isn't that something? I said the best evidence against the Pope is Peter's words himself. There's a reason why we're Protestants. We'll get to it in just a moment. I'll give, I'll give you some church history, but I need you to see it out of Peter's own words. Now notice this about Peter, chapter 2, 1 Peter, his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, talking about Jesus, the living what? The living stone. So Jesus is the capital S stone, English helping us understand the significance of this. But as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you what? You also, like living what? Stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a what? 
holy priesthood. Well, I thought there was just one pope and a bunch of priests. No, no, no. We, like Peter, are now stones, which is what his name means. We are now like him being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said. Come on, somebody say that's what he said. And it doesn't end there. Go to chapter 5, verse 1. When he talks to the leaders, he doesn't say, hey, I'm your pope. I'm in charge. You do what I say. No, the priesthood is for all believers. The living stone is for all believers built on the one stone of Jesus Christ. And look at how he addresses the leaders and look at what he calls himself. To the what? To the elders among you, I appeal as a pope. I appeal as the one in charge. I appeal as a fellow Elder, the Pope, nope, and Peter said it, and I believe it. Peter literally said, guys, I am no different than you. But what was his significance? His significance is in the story of the gospel, he's the first one to be built upon Jesus as Jesus is building his church. He's the first one to be called now the rock or living stone that God will be building with. He's that first brick, as it were. Y'all get this? He was the first one laid, but what's underneath that brick is the foundation. That's the cornerstone. That's Jesus. And Peter was the first one to get it. And because he was the first one to get it, he's honored. And he's given a new name, and it's called Rock. That's what his name and his new name means. Can I hear an amen? But does that not mean we're not all other rocks here? No, you see a bunch of bricks here, don't you? Everybody see that? And that's why he said, you're all like living stones now, built upon the one stone, Jesus Christ. Now, what does he say to the leaders of the church? He says, to the elders, to the elders. Elder just means the one in charge. You can think of this like respect your elders. That applies too. It's just a word to mean the ones that are in charge, that have the authority. I appeal to you as a fellow elder. So when Peter talked to the leaders, he didn't try to say, I'm up here and you're down here. No, he said, if you're a leader, you're serving God, I'm right there with you. And a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Now notice here where the switch was made. And it's not a bad thing in the sense of what our culture has done. It's not going to send you to hell and it's not even a sin. It's just not the appropriate way to title things. Notice that he says the elder is the noun. That's what they are. That's the title. Somebody say title. Be shepherds of God's flock, watching over them. The flock that's under your care, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So what are elders going to do? Elders are going to be shepherds who shepherd. Now what does the word shepherd mean? Pastor. El Pastor Taco, right? It reminds us of the shepherd's taco. Everybody get that? You see, think about that. What he is saying there is we elders, we shepherd, we're pastors. But what are they first and foremost? What are they entitled? Elders. And yes, they're going to be like shepherds. They're going to be pastors. And pastor is not a bad thing. And calling everybody in the church a pastor that's in charge is not necessarily a bad thing because all elders will shepherd. All elders will teach. All elders will do those things. But what happens is if you don't see the language of the Bible, you'll miss what the purpose of a pastor is. 
The purpose of a pastor is not just the shepherding, not just the caring, not just the teaching. It's there to be a pillar in the house of God. The elder will do that. So, for example, I'm a father that does a lot of things, but my first important assignment is to understand I am a father. Do I provide for my children? Yeah, that's what a good father does. Do I care for my children? Yes. Do I take care of my wife? Yes. But what am I in my title in my house? I'm a father. Same thing with the husband. Does everybody get it? These titles have to be preeminent. Otherwise, you will not understand the reason for the function. The reason for the elder pastoring is because they're in charge. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. How many want to know who's in charge? Are you a Karen? I tricked you. No, but how many want to know who's in charge? Most pastors don't even know who's in charge. According to the Bible, are pastors in charge? According to the Bible. No. Some of y'all, y'all don't even know what to say right now. You're confused. That's why you're in church. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, please. Are pastors in charge according to the Bible? No, because otherwise show me where they are. Show me a verse. Don't interrupt the sermon, obviously, but email it. Elsiansky at mpichurch.org. Keep her busy. But I'll tell you, it's not in there. It's just like you won't find a prayer to Mary in there, okay? It's just simple. You get what I'm saying? You'll find her being blessed, but ain't nobody talking to Mary like that. Only thing you see is her being corrected and rebuked half the time when she's involved. Look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever desires to be a what? Overseer. Just another word for elder. Same thing. I I can go through this at a different time. We have it written out in our books. But just trust me, overseer is another word for elder. Just put in the separate tab there, Titus chapter 1. We'll have that there as a reference for them so that they can see it. Because I don't want it to go so fast that people can't get it. Second tab, please, brother. Titus chapter 1. Just have it up there for them and scroll down a little bit to about verse 5 there. Just have it right there. Put, put verse 5 up center for me. Thank you. Now go back to Timothy. Look at what he said. Here's a trustworthy saying. You can bet your bottom dollar on this, as the old timers used to say. Whoever aspires, who wants to be an overseer or to be in charge of God's church, working with the Lord Jesus, desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. Can I hear an amen? His children obey him. They're going to be cutting the grass again today. They had a busy weekend. Sunday's cut grass day around here, if you, if you know how we've been rolling. Yeah, his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of what? Full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of the church or of God's church? If a pastor don't know how to take care of his family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be conceited, fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And then we will see our second position in the church in the same way deacons. Everybody say deacons. Thank you. In the same way, so everything that applies to the other now must apply to the deacons, are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain, They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be what? 
tested, and if there's nothing against them, then they can serve as deacons. See, that's who's in charge. Why is that important, brothers and sisters, to know who's in charge? This brother here plays Little League Baseball. Do you know who's in charge of your team, young man? That's, that's the coach, right? Otherwise, if he didn't know who's in charge, man, they'd be throwing the ball at the wrong person, hitting the ball the wrong way. Last time I played, they had signs like this. Do you guys have signs when you come up to bat to take a bunt, to try to get a base hit? you got to know who's in charge. We know when we go to our job, boss is in charge. We know when we go out here on the streets, police in charge. When we, when we go to our family, the man or the woman of the house is in charge. How many know what I'm talking about? We go to church, who's in charge? Elders and deacons. But why is this such a problem? Let me tell you why it's such a problem today in the United States. We're going back to that example. is because people have been going to Taco Bell thinking they're going to the taqueria. People think that because the elder's in charge, that that now means that that person has a, a trip with power, may not love them or treat them gentle all the time, whatever. They have this idea because I've been hurt in some previous church. They have uh, d- now gotten away from the biblical mouth, disregarded it because of their own excuses. And let me just tell you something, brother or sister. You can call Taco Bell Mexican all you want, but those who have been to Mexico know the truth. A church that does not have people in charge is not really a church. A church that doesn't have sound doctrine and testing of its members and its leaders. A church that doesn't keep everybody accountable to lists like this does not have true biblical authority. And that's why we can scream and shout in our church services all day long and say we're going to bind the devil. But if we're not in the authority of Jesus Christ, we're not binding up anything. The devil's looking at our conferences. The devil's looking at our services going, (laughs) look at them. They're like the prophets of Baal. Demons, look at them. They're just shouting all the time like how they cut themselves. They just clap all the time. They do all this. But there's no authority there because their houses aren't right. Their marriages aren't right. Their kids aren't right. Their doctrine's not right. If you remember in the scripture of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, these false, God, uh, these false prophets thought they could get their false god to do a miracle by they shouting more and then being more enthusiastic enthusiasm or the size of those who are enthusiastic doesn't make it right. Did all of those people shouting for Hitler, hail Hitler in Germany, make it right? Did it make them strong enough to take down the American allied forces? They still got their butts whooped. I don't care how much you shout. The devil don't care. I don't care how much you go to church. I don't care how many bishops you have in your denomination. If those people that are considered to be leaders are not living like this, there is no authority there. There is no government there. Satan understands that. The word ecclesia is where we get our word church from. Ecclesia, ek, out of, exit, called out ones. We are called out of the world into the body of Christ to be the bride of Christ. Think about that. Jesus uses the two most important terms you could ever understand and says, that's what I consider my church called out once, my literal body and my bride. And yet we have oompa loompa, dim-witted Christians that think they can be a Christian and yet not be a part of a church. That's like me saying I'm a part of a marriage, but I don't check on my wife. That's like me saying I'm healthy, but I don't check on my body and I'm not connected to it. It's dim-witted, it's foolishness, it's stupidity, and like Mr. T, I pity the fool. The reason why today churches aren't respected in the culture is first and foremost, the Christians themselves don't respect the church. They don't live like the church, they don't have leaders like the church. 
They don't have structure like the church as the Bible commands. Therefore, they can't do the works of the church. How many know to have a tank, you got to have the parts of a tank? How many know then you got to have somebody to drive the tank? How many have ever seen, you know, janky things done before and then you've seen why they didn't work well, you know? you just seen janky. How many know if a tank goes into the war, it has to be built right. It has to have the right parts. It has to be done with somebody with training. Not some little janky old thing that people just put together in their backyard and called it a tank. Sometimes I watch these shows and people build things and they're crafts, crafty and all that. And I just look at half that stuff and I'm just like, that's janky. That's just janky, man. Why are you doing that? Why don't you just go work a job, save up a little bit and go buy the real thing? You know, and I'm not trying to put down people who make the best out of what they have. It's just sometimes they spend three hours on that craft. I'm like, you could have worked one hour at McDonald's and afforded the real, the real broom. You could have afforded the real thing. And it's the same thing. I've watched these other militaries like Russia, like these other people, put together their military force. And you can look at their tanks from 1970, all janky, you know, from the Cold War. You look at their military. They're not coming correct. And then you look at the Marines. You look at the Navy SEALs. You look at our warships. And you know that when them boys come for you, it's over. I wish we could put up the tanks of uh, Saddam Hussein when they came in there to invade Baghdad. It was a joke. Some of them couldn't even get them to run. And that's what it's like when the people of God are not ready to face the devil. They're in some little janky tank, some janky church with some janky authority, with some janky Bible study, and they're wondering why they're getting whooped all across this city. They're wondering why they haven't changed a soul and seen somebody discipled in years, and they're wondering why they're not seeing the powers of darkness come down. It's because they don't have what Jesus said they need to have. The church of Jesus Christ is a terror to the devil. When the devil sees you and he knows you mean business, you're a terror to the devil. That's why when you pray, you win. That's why when you witness, you see souls saved. Don't ever take for granted a church like this. As I told you before, I was spying on some of my friends' churches. I watched one church. I watched it through COVID. They went through the, you know, to the videos online, and then they met, and then you could see that there was just a few people like that. And then now I'm watching them. Now that the preacher don't even stand in the middle, he's standing over here to the side because there's only 10, 15 of them. Don't ever take a church like this for granted that baptized 13, 14 people just the other day. Don't take for granted a church like this where disciples are being made every day and there's more coming down the pike. And if you don't want it, we'll get 10 more in your place. Why? Because there's something here. The devil knows it's real. The devil knows it's real. That's why when we go out and preach, the devil sends his people to attack us. But the very ones who come to attack, many times they get saved. I saw a young lady the other day at Lollapalooza hunched over weeping, and she looked just like the same kind of liberal feminist women that were spitting on us and yelling at us, and I saw her getting rocked in the Holy Ghost. Who knows that woman's story? I want to hear that. You hear what I'm saying? We saw a young man, and I don't know if he was in gangs or whatever. You don't want to profile, but he definitely looked like the kind of person you wouldn't want to mess with. We have the video within a few moments, demons getting cast out of him, face down on the concrete, receiving Jesus. How do you see a gangbanger or somebody who loves that lifestyle kissing concrete, calling out to Jesus, not caring who sees him? Please put up that video, sir. It's on Adam's site, and it should be on ours. I'm going to help him out, Juan. How do you know that's real? Because God did it. I dare you to try to walk up to a 20-something-year-old African-American 6'5 with his friends and say, go down and kiss the concrete, young man. 
I dare you to do that. I mean, no, that's a quick trip to the hospital. You might as well just hit 911 right before you say that because you're going to need to get peeled up off that concrete. I want you, yes, sir, you listen to me. I want you to go to the floor, weep on the ground in front of all your friends on the concrete. Well, you couldn't get anybody to do that with a sound mind, let alone teenagers or young adults, young men. This man went down like a tree hit by the Holy Spirit timber. And I envy that man in his humility because he wanted Jesus. May we never look at that and say, well, I'm better than that. No, no, no. Lord, I want to be like that. I want to be so struck in my heart that if the Lord has to deliver me and set me free, it happens wherever Jesus says it happens. Because I would rather hit the floor and kiss concrete and weep in front of my boys and know I'm going to heaven than to look like I'm a preacher that has it all together and go to hell. Because Jesus said to me, I don't know you, son. Depart from me. The Bible says many on judgment day. This is the part I don't understand, my brother, is when we see them at crooked, why do we think take that as a surprise? Jesus already told us on judgment day, there will be people who say they prophesied in my name, cast out demons in my name, did all of these things, and they'll say, depart from me. That's why you can't let anybody take your testimony. You can't let anybody take what God has done in your heart. Not even me as an elder right now. You have to make sure that I am leading you through the word of God. Otherwise, you could be deceived by a fallen elder. Sometimes I think about these professors or these former pastors who turn their back on Jesus and then become reprobates. What would it have been like to be a person in that, you know, that person's church? Here, you're trying to live for Jesus, and all the advice they're giving you is taking you the wrong way. You're trying to go this way. You're trying to go, and they're always taking you this Man, you know why? This person's not even living right for God. Their family's not even ordered. They don't even have the right doctrine, and, let you, and, and you're listening to them. God have mercy. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's why churches need to be serious about doctrine. You need to know what kind of church you're in. You need to know what we're teaching from the scriptures. Many people have come to this church and have said, thank you for putting all your doctrines and all your stances, you know, especially the most important ones, there on your website so that I can see it. I've had people come to me from other churches. and They say, I don't even know how they feel about such and such a thing. I don't even know what they believe. I'm trying to get a meeting with such and such a pastor because I don't know what they feel about this or what they believe about this. And then there was one gentleman that I was rebuking that was online. He was calling people in his church as witches, and then I found them and had a meal with them, and they said, we're not witches, we're Christians. This man just didn't like us, and he told the whole church we're witches. So I went to that pastor, and I said, I want to talk to you man to man. And as a preacher, he looks just like me. He preaches loud. He's bold. He looks masculine. But he was a coward. He said, oh, I don't got time for you. I don't want to do it. And he just ran off with his tail tucked between his legs. These men don't want to hold up to the scrutiny of the Scripture. You know me so many different times on Facebook. I said to all my haters, come on live right now and say every bad thing you got to say. I'll take you on. Just remember this. What you give, you got to also take. Well, I want to come talk about the pastor and when he was mean to me that one time. Let's talk about when you cheated on your husband then. Let's talk about when you bad-mouthed us and were gossiping. Let's talk about that time you were doing drugs and smoking weed. Let's talk about that time you did X, Y, and Z. Let's put it all out there and let's see who's above reproach. Are you listening? Let's talk about your life. Let's talk about how you live because my life is under the spotlight every day, all day, baby, and I ain't afraid of it in Jesus' name. 
So anybody want to bring a reproach against me, it's on. I want to talk about your life and compare it to my life toe to toe. Let's see which one God is with. I've been set free from drugs and alcohol by God's grace for now almost 30 years. Don't come to me. You've been smoking pot one year ago. You came up in this church. Now you think you're going to correct me as a pastor. You better bring some evidence that I did something to you. Did I touch you? Did I steal from you? Did I lie to you? You can't just come to me and say I hurt your pot smoking feelings. You listening to me? Because that's the way people think. No, no, no. You're not coming against a governmental structure with your feelings hurt. You don't come against authority as a butt whoop child to your mom just because your feelings got hurt. Tell me that she beat you and made you bleed or bruised you. Otherwise, you needed that spanking. Tell me that she couldn't feed you or she locked you in your room. I saw these children locked in cages the other day. I wanted the parents to be locked in cages. You know what I'm talking about. Tell me you've been abused. Show me the abuse and we got your back. But don't come to me as a butt hurt young adult saying, I just got spanked. Are you listening? Tell me where the sin is at. Tell me where the turmoil is at. People today, they want to live however they want, and they want to point the finger towards the preacher and to the church like they're in a restaurant, and they're going to make a review like they did for the McDonald's that they were at. Brothers and sisters, you need to be careful when you're with the church and you're doing things for God because God doesn't play that. There is a scripture that says, touch not my anointing, and I know it's been abused in the past, but there is a lot of truth to that. We need to make sure we honor our leaders. Can I get an Amen. I just want to give you a couple examples. I'm not even halfway through, I think, the second scripture I put up here today. I've got ten scriptures. I only got through two. Is that okay? I didn't know where it would go today, but I just knew it would be deep. But hear me on this. We're in a good season in our church. I'm so thankful for every one of you here. You know who doesn't like to hear the message of the law is a criminal. You know who loves the message of the law? Those who abide by it. I know you guys, most of you, 99.9, you all love this message. Why? Because you abide by the scriptures. I love it. It doesn't bother me. Why? Because I'm not threatened by it. Someone says, well, I'm going to keep you accountable, Joe. I'm going to check in on your bank. I'm gonna, well, it's right back there. You can look at it. Lauren, uh, Lauren will open it up and print it out for you on QuickBooks right now. We won't make one adjustment. There you go. Take it. Why? Because I'm not afraid of accountability. Joe, I'm going to ask your wife private questions without you around. Go ahead. How does he treat you when no one's looking? How does he treat the children? Ask him. I don't care. Why? Because accountability does not bother me. I am not a duplicit person. And that by itself intimidates this world. When you are not duplicit, when you are a person of integrity, that intimidates this world because they don't want to believe that Christianity works for anybody. What they want to do is break Christianity down so much that they don't think it works and then now they don't have to follow it. That's what they want to do. And so, brothers and sisters, I want you to be proud of your church. As the Bible says, I take joy in you. I want you to take joy and to take high esteem, not pride in a cocky way, but in a way of honor. I want you to honor your church. I want you to honor your leaders. I want you to take joy in what God's doing here and keep growing with it and understand that this is not make-believe. This is the authority of God on the earth. Just a couple quotes that I want to read to you. And, brothers, I know you're working on it. Do you need some help? Because we can get some more up there. Will you help them? They, they got it? Oh, it's a computer? Okay, so it's not a matter of checking it out. It's just a matter of getting that to work. In the name of Jesus, demons come out of that computer. Loose that technology and Wi-Fi and let it go. Well, brothers, I hope to get it up there in just a few minutes. But I just want to read this to you. Most, As I said, and I don't say this to boast, because God has allowed me to be a doctor. But does anybody here ever call me Dr. Joe? No? You know why? Because I don't live by titles. Like Pastor Adam or Evangelist Adam said uh, last week, titles can become idols. I have a doctorate, but nobody here calls me D Dr. Joe. 
I've planted churches, but nobody here calls me Apostle Joe. We have the Salvador, uh, Jessica here, uh, the Cassianos family been with us from day one in my house. I have never had a title that they've had to call me by. Is that true, brother and sister? Amen. I've always been as real as it comes, starting from my home Bible. So you've got people that have been here from day one, day one. But I want to share this with you, and I do this with all honesty. Explaining to Christians sometimes the doctrine of the church is like explaining to somebody from the suburbs that Taco Bell is not Mexican. They, they, they just, they don't know. They don't even know. I'm serious. They don't even know. And I need y'all in this church to come up. Amen. Let's, let's play this video. Praise the Lord. How many ready to see what miracles happen on the streets when you do the real deal? Can we start it from the beginning? Look at this. Standing up. How many think it would be a good idea to poke a finger in his chest if you weren't preaching the gospel? Just pause it real quick. Pause it. Go back to him. I, oh, I see it doing all that. But look at this. That's Jesus. If you can, now go back to the beginning. Because I just, I just want to put this in the rational way that everybody can understand this. Start it again now, please. And then stop it when he's poking him right there. Stop right there. Okay. How many think that would be a different result of who's on the floor in the next few moments if he was not preaching to him the truth of God? God's got a plan for your life. He wants to take the sin out. That's what Adam is saying. You were not called to live in sin. You were called to be free. That's authority. That's authority right there. That's not speaking to a man like, well, I just want to make sure I don't hurt your feelings on the streets. I want to make sure I don't say the wrong thing. No, it's in the name of Jesus. Jesus will set you free. Jesus has got power. You weren't made to live in sin. If he wasn't saying the gospel, where would he be, Calvin? Poking around that bear. You don't poke the bear and don't get the growl and the slash, man. But it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Somebody say, it's Jesus. Keep it plain. Let the Holy Ghost come on this man, or come on us like it came on this man. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Only Jesus, the name of Jesus, can save a sinner, can transform a sinner into a saint. He ain't done yet. He got to go low so that God can lift him high. He's got to go low so that God can lift him up. The Bible says whoever is bowed down will be lifted up, but God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Please put that there real quick again of him laying down. Oftentimes Muslims say, y'all don't pray with enough humility. No, we still have people that pray on their knees and get on their face, but we do it when the Holy Ghost tells us to do it, not some false pedophiling prophet. How many of you have ever been laid out on the face, on your face, on the carpet, snotting all over that place? Because God did it. Not religion, but God did it. That's what the church does when it hits the streets. I'm tired of all these deliverance ministers saying that they got all this power, but you never see them on the streets. They got it set up, man, like they're fishing in a barrel. Always talking to the same people, using the power of suggestion, just like hypnotists. Show me that you can cast a demon out of somebody you've never met in public, on the streets, for the glory of God. We'll show you our demons getting cast out. You show me your pretend wannabe LARPing live action role play Lord of the Rings garbage. He listening to me? This is real deal. That's why when I show you demons getting cast out, it's real deal. I was in India preaching. The guy was screaming and hollering. I said, bring him up here. He got set free in Jesus' name. 
People in this church get set free like that all the time. The only difference between us and them is we don't put them on video all the time. I'm glad it got caught. But there's people, and you know who some of you are. You get set free up here. We don't put the camera up in your face. It's a special moment. We're not there for our own selves. We're there for the glory of God. Amen? I want to read you a couple things because most people don't even know. Say they don't know. Come on, say it again. Say they don't know. That's why. Come on, say and that's why. They don't do better. Come on, they don't know, and they don't do better. I want to read to Ignatius, the man who was fed to lions. He was around the first century church. He was a church father. He was somebody that was a martyr for Jesus Christ. You want to know what he said to the church of Ephesus? This is his letter to the Ephesians. Most of my friends, I'm just being honest with you, Protestants don't even know the history of the church. They think it only started with Martin Luther and the Reformation. Brothers and sisters, there's a reason why the Catholic Church started elevating leaders the way they did. There's a certain reason why they had confession of sin in closets. Don't you notice, though, there's still confession of sins. Most Protestant churches don't have anybody confess sin anymore. The only difference is we do ours up here and sit in the dark closet with Father Tom. But how many know we're still keeping the tradition of confessing of sins? You go to most Protestant churches now, they don't have no time for confession of sin. If you don't have a time to confess your sins one to another to be healed, as James says, then how are you going to expect God to be in your life? Why well, just talk to the Lord? The Bible says God said not only talk to me, but talk to your brother about your sin. Go to James chapter 5 quickly before I even go to Ignatius. How many are glad you have people to confess your sins to? That's why when I say to people, you want to go public and bring out my sins, I'm going to let you know I'm going to talk about your sins now. If you don't want me to talk about your sins with you in public, don't try to bring things about me in public. Because those, the Bible says, are like that are hypocrites. They have a plank in their eye, and they will not do any good trying to get a speck out of my eye. I have no problem with anybody ever bringing up my sins. I don't. I don't. Just be okay with me bringing up yours. Now, you may say, Pastor, what about the Bible says devil is the accuser of the brethren, forgiveness of sin? That is all true until you get to court, and now you got to decide somebody's character. How many are glad a person today in the jail can't just say, well, I'm forgiven. Let me out. How many believe he could be truly forgiven? How many believe the thief on the cross was truly forgiven? I mean, that's real forgiveness, but you guys still face up to your judgment of your character. Everybody say amen if you believe it. Amen. Thank you. Now go to James chapter 5 quickly in closing. I love the church. I love the church. How many love the church today? I love you in the church, and the church is not the building or the steeple. It's the people. Amen. Notice this right here in James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, it says in verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We are to confess our sins to each other. I remember one time I was talking to somebody, even in this church, about their testimony. And I said, oh, oh you, they said something that caught my eye. And I said, oh, is that what you were? And they said, oh, I don't feel comfortable sharing that. I understand but she needs to be able to share it with somebody. Because if you get to a point to your testimony where you're like, I don't feel comfortable, you have, with a Christian that you trust, you have not gotten to the place where you are over it. I'm not saying you have to share every deep and dark, dirty secret. I'm just saying if somebody asks you, were you this kind of a person? Did you do these kinds of things? You should be able to say, that's who I was. But Jesus forgave me. Did I used to rob? Yes. Did I used to commit crimes? Yes. 
Have I had to check on the statute of limitation on those crimes? Yes. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. Have I had sex with women unmarried, uh, being unmarried? Absolutely. Have I done naughty things? Absolutely. Yep. If you asked me on any of them, I would have to tell you the truth. I would. I would be honest. I have not always been, I've never raped nor sexually abused, but I've been a part of some sketchy, drunk situations. Are you listening to me? No charges have ever been brought against me, thank God. And as far as I know, I don't have a little mini Joe running around. But I know my past. And I confessed it to everybody that I trusted. Every part of it. Why? Because I don't want the devil to have one piece of me. And you know what? The mentors that I have confessed my sins to would never in a million years want to bring it up. You know why? Because I would never challenge their authority in my life. I would never need to set be set back with a rebuke to remind me of what God did in my life because I have never challenged their authority. And I know sometimes we get uncomfortable with that. But listen to me, my friends. If you want to stand up and start a fight with a pastor that that pastor has loved you and helped you in your bad times, you better make sure you're ready to stand by your integrity for the world to see. Can I get an amen? I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm just being honest with you. Brothers and sisters, we take integrity here serious. When Juan was being brought up during the time of Chicago Native, all these people were saying, well, I know his past, I know his past. And we looked into every one of those situations, didn't we? Didn't we, Lauren? We looked into every one of those situations. But you know what? Never one of them wanted to make it live on air. You know probably why they didn't want to do it? Because the moment they would, we would say, how do you know this about his past? Where were you at during that's what I he may not have asked it, but that's what I would have asked. Where were you during those times? I want to know your life. Tell me who you how do you know that? Tell me who it is that told you that. What were they doing? Are you listening to me? Brothers and sisters, if you are forgiven, you have nothing to hide. And if anybody you have confessed anything to goes around and shares it without a rebuke or without a correction, you have the right to call them up on slander. Absolutely 100%. That's why I don't name those people in this church because they don't deserve it to be named. They haven't crossed those lines. Are you listening? But the Bible says those who have sinned, you are to rebuke and tell the church. You are to tell the church of why you got to rebuke them as a pastor, what sins are in their life, what lack of integrity is in their life, and what problems they are now causing. That's Matthew 18. We'll get back to that later. But how many know we got to confess our sins one to another? Amen. But most people don't even know this, and i got to go quickly. Here's what Ignatius said. May I always have joy of you, speaking to the church of Ephesus. Altar workers and band, would you come, please, if indeed I be worthy of it. It is therefore befitting that you should be in every way the glory of Jesus Christ who has glorified you. Now notice this. I don't have it up there, but I'm just reading it from my phone. You can get it for free online, Ignatius' letter to the Ephesians. That by unanimous obedience you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and have the same judgment and may all speak the same thing concerning the same thing. And that you being subject to the bishop or elder and the presbyters, which is the elders, you may in all ways be sanctified. There are leaders in this church, elders and deacons, that are here to help you live out your sanctification. I take that serious. The church is being built upon disciples who want to make disciples. 
We can never go out into those streets and command others to follow those commands of Jesus unless we ourselves have first followed them. I want every person here in the next few moments, if you have been a hypocrite, everyone listen to me. The difference between a person who has sinned and a hypocrite is the one who has sinned and asked for forgiveness doesn't continue in it willfully. The hypocrite keeps sinning and just keeps going, oh, whatever, okay, I guess I'm sorry. Listen to the difference. If you are here today and you are a hypocrite, I want you to come up and receive forgiveness of sins by praying to Jesus, confessing it to the brothers and sisters here, and getting the junk out of your life. Because I do not want to preach a message like this about the power of God in his church and the holiness of integrity, and then people just amen me because it feels good, and then they don't live right. Number two, if you're in this church and you're not in our discipleship yet, if you have not committed to a one-on-one Bible study with a person of the same gender, women with women and men with men, I command you by the Lord Jesus Christ to do so. Your spiritual maturity depends on you and accountability relationships. We'll be talking about how people think more in the future that I don't need others. But I gave you that example earlier. How can you say you're married without your spouse? How can you say you have a body, your arm, if it's detached? How can these supposed Christians say they're a part of Jesus' body and his, and, his, and his bride if they're not attached to a church? And if the first thing that comes out of your, your mouth or in your mind is, is an excuse, get rid of your excuses. Find a good church. If this is not a good one, go find one. But you have to be a disciple, my brothers and sisters. You need to find somebody you trust. Find someone with integrity. These leaders have monthly meetings. They have check-ins and evaluations. And we keep them to the highest level of accountability. In other words, just to give in comparison, our elders and deacons are held to a higher level, higher level than I was in a denomination as a pastor. In other words, I could have got away with more as a pastor in my former denomination than what elders and deacons can get away with here today. So I'm just asking you, trust until trust is broken. But you have to pray. I don't want to be responsible for you saying this is your church when God said it wasn't. Is this your church or not? Then you got to hear that from God. And then lastly, brothers or sisters, get out there and show the world what it looks like. Go out there and show them. When you hear these kinds of things where it comes up like, oh, the church I used to go to, all y'all Christians, you need to go, put on the brakes. You don't know me and you don't know us. I'm serious, man. I challenge all of those backslidden preachers, Christians, come out to Lollapalooza with us. Go out to the west side with us where we were yesterday. Stand with TJ wherever he's going to go preach today. Come to our Bible studies. I hear it all the time. I have never seen, this is what people, and many of you here have said that. They, they say it all the time. I've never seen a church like this. I'm not trying to say we're the only ones, God forbid. These aren't the only ones going to heaven, y'all. There's others going, amen. I'm just saying, for many people, this is the first introduction to it, right? And I want to say, go show the world that. Show them on your job. You're a person of integrity. Show them in your marriage. In your, in your backyard, you know, we have kids come over. We play with their, you know, the kids and the family. Show them you're different, man. Invite them to this building where the church meets so that they can see other Christians doing it with you. Amen? Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus as he builds his church? Come on, Jessica. And the gates of hell will not prevail.